of the tome show is brought to you by noble knight where out of print is available again and listeners like you thanks for using the tomes amazon and DD classics affiliate links hey this is mike merles lead developer of fourth edition and you're listening to the tome welcome to the tome a DD news reviews and interviews show and i'm your tome host jeff greiner and I'm your co-host, Tracy Hurley. In this episode, number 246, we're going to examine a pickled editor cap? That can't be right. I'll try it again. Ah, the Dungeon Master's Guide for the 5th edition of D&D, the final core book on our five-port series. We made it! Yay! And now, I will one last time introduce the group to the, to the team that I like to call Team Otiug, our intrepid contributors. Not joining us in this episode is senior editor, because he failed his check against Poison tonight, Sam Dillon. Oh, we miss you, Sam. Unfortunately, Sam is not feeling well and would, could not join us for this last look at the 5th edition of D&D. I'm sure he'll be back on later, though. However, somebody who is with us is the man who's building his own monsters as we speak. One of the hosts of Behind the DM Screen, along with Sam, and Master of Sly Flourish, it's Mike Shea. Hello. The man making stats for all of his minions over the round table also joins us. We are joined by James Interqueso. Hey, how's it going? Along with Tracy and myself, has been your 5E introductory review team. I hope you've enjoyed it. I know I've had fun. But before we jump into things, Noble Knight is back! Our pick for this episode is 5th edition D&D. All of it! You've heard us talk about it, and if you still haven't run out to buy it, now is your chance. Noble Knight has it all and offers them at a discount. Head over to thetomeshow.com to find a link in the show notes to the landing page that has all our 5e goodies. Hello! Hello, citizens! Oh, thank goodness! Adventurers! We need a Noble Knight! Perhaps you can slay the beast of retail and reap the promises of riches. Riches? Yes! Great prices, out-of-print games, the latest releases, and a magic box that converts all of your old loot into cash or new loot. But why? Fantastic! I'll do it! Yes, well... You see, the beast he kidnapped the mayor and can only be slain by the most noble of knights. Yes, yes, yes. I said I'll do it. Yes, the thing is, I was talking to her. What? Fear not, kind citizen. The noble knight will save the day, rescue the lord in distress, and liberate all that loot in a way only possible at Noble Knight. If you'd like to get your hands on Noble Knight's loot, head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes for this episode. And don't forget to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Ha! I got to do something to help out. Alright, it is time for the DMG. We're going to get into the good, the bad, the ugly, the boring, uh, the the modules that could have, are, are they what they could have been? Is the advice helpful for veterans and newbies alike? Are the random charts random enough? Let's talk DMG. What's a DMG? Ooh. Are you getting deep or you just want to know what the acronym means? Um, just in case we have a new person listening <laughs> good call the dungeon master's guide it is the the third of the core books you know people t- generally say the core books of D&D the things you absolutely have to have to play are the, the player's handbook uh, sometimes referred to as the PHB although I've always liked PH myself because I recognize that handbook is one word but whatever uh, the monster manual and the DMG the dungeon master's guide it is all of kinds of advice and tips and tricks for dungeon masters as well as the place where um, 
charts and things to help you design your campaign and your own monsters and your own class options and whatever live and of course the all-important magic items because really you could pretty much play without the dmg if it weren't for the magic items does that summarize the dmg yeah uh it does although i take umbrage with you could pretty much play without the dmg oh yeah i think you could what else do I need besides magic items from the DMG in order well, to play the game? the encounter building rules are in the DMG, for one. Yeah, I guess, because they're also in the basic <laughs> rules online, but I guess we're counting that, or we're not mm-hmm. counting that, right? Well, because that's pulled from the DMG, right? So Yeah. 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 I mean, I suppose that's true. The, the encounter building rules, mm-hmm. as crappy as they are, <laughs> are in the DMG. Mike, talk about the encounter building rules. They s- well, boy, you know. So I, I, I prefer things lazy in my in my D my my D and D, and that is not a lazy system for encounter building. Mm. Um, and the thing that has saved me is that there are already good JavaScript-based encounter-building programs where I can type in monsters, and it tells me how many I should throw in because <laughs> the math is really complicated. Mm. With the modifiers and stuff? Yeah, like if you know, once yeah. you reach a certain threshold of monsters, the modifier, the experience point modifier goes up, so therefore you have to have fewer monsters. But if you put in fewer, then the modifier goes back down again. So you, then- you're constantly tweaking like the exact number and type of monsters in order to get it balanced and. And if you go um, monsters under enough levels under the main group, you're supposed to just ignore them. See, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Shame on me for not reading, I guess. Well, and and, okay, so, and here's my question then. Um, Obviously, for for the new DM, that's pretty important. For a veteran DM, does it really matter if it's perfectly balanced? Yeah, because I almost. It's okay to have. You almost completely wiped out who? Yeah, I'm, I almost completely wiped out parties because I didn't do it right. Really? Yeah, I almost killed everybody with a bunch of Sturges. And I think James Intercasa was at that game. Yes, yeah, and I remember you trying to... We, we tried to build the encounter, like, all together because the math was right. so, so we difficult. Were still, <laughs> right, we were still, like, figuring things out. I was running Fandelver, and in, there's a scene in Fandelver where there's a bunch of Sturges, and I was trying to figure out how many Sturges they should be, and my very first math run had like 12 and 12 sturges would have just killed everybody and then i redid the math and the balanced one was like five yeah or, or six it was much know. lower i feel like if i was winging it i, I would have recognized that 12 is probably way too much <laughs> <laughs> i didn't because i like i look at cr whatever they are quarter and eighth and i was like well the party's like level two you know they could take on a whole pile of these things uh, but so <laughs> but it doesn't work like it did in third where you know cr one eighth meant that you know your party is level whatever so you can take on this many of it no is that what you're saying for me, the difference was I didn't really recognize that modifier. And yeah. I'm sure that eventually I'll just have something in my head. And mostly I'm, I'm able to. I'm just like, oh, I think I'll add one or two more. Okay. Um, but just I, I, so far, every, every fifth edition game I've generally run has been with uh, uh, either pre-published adventures that already tell me. And then I can just kind of up them by one or two. Or I've been using that JavaScript app to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like that would be... Useful because, like, also if you have someone cancel the last minute and you have to redo your XP budget. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Although, you know what's funny is I have yet to figure out a simpler way to, like, for all the complicated calculus that you have to do um, to, to figure out how to build an encounter, I don't have, a, a like, a better, faster way yet. Um, and I'm sure once I'm playing it, you know, I'll, I'll just have more of a natural feel for, oh, okay, this will be good and they can handle this many, but mm-hmm. uh, it's hard. It's hard to, to figure out. So I wonder if they built this system that felt balanced, but the math has to be complicated in order yeah. for it to be balanced. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're you know, they're, they're, the whole reason you have the modifier is that they're making up for the fact that more PCs or less PCs have a, you know, triangular, you know, equation in power level, not linear so right. they have to have a, you know, they have to use triangular math in order to increase monsters by one and a half multipliers and two times multipliers, depending on what's yeah. going up. And then the other slider is how many PCs you've got, which moves the slider the other direction. It's, it's it needed, means- but it's, yeah. Now, does this, oh, is, is this primarily an issue at low levels? Well, the, the, so the problem is I don't even know what it looks like at high. <laughs> 
Yeah, and this makes me kind of sad because one of the things I loved about For You was how easy it was to just throw together encounters. Yeah. yeah. And and when I had talked to them about the fifth edition stuff pretty early, they were like, oh, don't worry, we understand that part. We're going to keep it simple for the DMs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this is significantly... Now, the, 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 the problem is that even in 4E, it, it just stops working at a certain point. Well, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> well, that, and that's kind of what I'm saying is that ultimately I'm more worried about the story and, and I feel like the fifth edition supports that stronger that yeah. i should just put the stuff there that that makes sense for the story that i'm telling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then we'll figure it out or they'll figure it out right now, now the one place where that's fallen apart for me is of course at low levels because pcs are really squishy at low levels yeah right and on. i have a feeling i have a feeling the math is going to break in the other direction as they get higher yeah right that we're going to see like eighth level pcs and you're going to balance a group out for eighth level pcs and they're going to eat them <laughs> Which I've already seen, right? I've already I've already seen battles where you know fifth and sixth level PCs, and you're like, well, this is balanced pretty well, and they just like one good fireball, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I found out I have a uh, fifth level PCs, and the chaos sorcerer in my game last night um, randomly summoned a unicorn, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that really turned the tide of battle in their sure. favor. <laughs> Which is, you know, I don't want to bash that too hard because the oh, yeah. non the non-uniformity of fifth edition i think is actually kind of refreshing right oh, you know the idea that you yeah. can have a battle with seven bullywugs and a guy fireballs them because they all he wins initiative and he lines them up and you're like okay battle's done yeah well and at the same time <laughs> he's know? also using that resource right it, yeah we're not, right. we're not talking about a five minute work day well, guess what? hopefully there were, there were six more upstairs so yeah <laughs> continued. yeah sorry tracy oh no so, but yeah, and, and that actually brings out uh, one of the things I think where the this the addition in general and the DMG specifically, since that's what we're reviewing, I think is really strong, and that's in in the story, right? Mm-hmm. The support and the emphasis on on story. I found the advice sections, the world building, the campaign building, that kind of stuff. As a veteran DM, I found that to be really interesting, um, more way more so than I thought it would be. It's like, yeah, I don't really need to read about how to do that stuff. I know how to build a campaign. I know how to you know build a, uh, an adventure, uh, a world, whatever. Right? Um, I, I didn't think I would be interested in, it. and then I kept reading through them and thinking, yeah, that'd be cool, and that would be cool, and ooh, I've got a whole new idea for an, for an adventure or a campaign. Like I started coming up with ideas from reading the advice as a veteran DM, and I kind of want to follow the process as they detail it and see what I come up with. Yeah, those stuff like making sure certain things that you should make sure that uh, your campaign world likely has like where do devils come from or mm-hmm. demons and stuff like that, right. uh, which have I don't think has ever necessarily been spelled out quite so clearly. Mm-hmm. Not that I've seen at least. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and even not even just in that parts that are, that are have to be story focused, right? But I felt mm-hmm. like the magic item section was way more story inducing than than anything I've seen before from from magic item sections. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, another thing I really, really like about this book is that along with that story, there's a lot of advice um, that says, you know, you you can throw this out the window or you can adjudicate this differently if you think that's the way you want to do it. There's a lot of DM empowerment in Mm -hmm. the book, um, but at the same time, it doesn't empower you to the point of... You're you're always right, and don't ever let your players think that you're wrong or that kind of thing. You know, it, it <laughs> plays like right where it should be, which I think is really great. And it gives multiple, uh, often gives multiple ways of of playing the same game. Uh, I don't know how else to put it. Where like you can have something that is way more story focused because they mm-hmm. had they had a whole uh, things not just about um, inspiration, but like you could have players give out the inspiration and then mm. all that means is that the more that they give out you get some back for your own creatures uh and just things like that so they they realize that there are multiple ways of playing D&D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think and I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um it's that whole modular piece that they talked about, you know, you can we'll give you some dials and you can turn that dial up or some switches where you can turn this thing off or on or whatever and, and change the style of the game, change the healing, change the the rest system, you know, whatever. Um or change the way you do inspiration or um you know, all the all these little add-ons that you yeah. can, you know, tac- more tactical, less tactical, whatever. Um, yeah. and, and some of those were really good, and some of them I thought, you know, kind of, eh, well, I wish they'd have done something a little more robust. You know, I thought morale was boring. I thought the, the morale rules could have been way, you know, not complex, 
but a little more nuanced than than uh, what they have. I just found certain rules like uh, like that to be like, oh uh, yeah, you could do that, but you know, <laughs> I don't want to. And I understand that's that's how modules work, right? I'm not supposed to want to do them all, uh, mm-hmm. but some of them I just I didn't think find particularly compelling. It's true, but the ones that I was looking forward to, I, I was pretty happy with most things. I was a little disappointed with some of the downtime system stuff. Um, I, I wanted to see uh, like another option there or something. And you know, uh, right before this started, we talked a little bit about how the running a business in your downtime uh, it, it seems like a flawed system. Uh, and also, I've talked about on the roundtable before the crafting system like if you're going to build a suit of plate armor seems like it's going to take way too long um you know so but so there were things here and there but i feel like the fact that i need to get that into the weeds about a lot of this stuff means that this is a pretty great book you know i felt like uh the manual of the planes is kind of already in this book it's got advice about what you should do when characters hit 20th level, how you can continue to play with those characters if you want to. So there's a, a little piece of epic handbook in there, you know? Um, and, and I really like that. I thought that was cool. Uh, and I would also like to give a big shout out to the chase rules. Uh, I ran a chase with my players two weeks ago and it went over great. Um, it's really fun. Everybody should look into them and it makes, when your players want to chase down every last goblin, it makes it far more interesting uh, than, you know, I need to run to get into range. Now I'm taking disadvantage on an attack. Now I run again, you know. <laughs> you know, you mentioned that it has its own little manual of the planes in there, uh, and that's true. And I, and I re- actually really enjoyed um, some of that. I did find it a little um, unbalanced mm. in that, like, some planes got a ton of attention and some planes got like nothing. I mean, Mount Celestia has two paragraphs uh, of attention. And one of those is the optional rule for, for being in Mount Celestia. Whereas the plane of, I don't know, fire gets, gets uh, two and a half pages or whatever, you know, Hmm. Um, the inner plane seemed to get a lot of attention, specifically calling out uh, locations that are known in those in, in those locations or whatever. Uh, whereas the outer planes, um, which in my experience are the way more used planes, um, get a lot less attention. Hmm. Although maybe they wanted to save that for um, uh, Planescape. I mean, I, I tend to run I tend to run darker games, but the idea that there's a couple pages on the nine hells isn't so bad. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm going to use that more than I'm going to use, you know, some of these other places. Yeah. Sure. That actually, it made me think of when we reviewed the Monster Manual, Mike, and you were t- talking yeah. about how there's so many metallic dragons. Right. Um, you know, that's why I bet there's a smaller section on Mount Celestia than there is on the Nine Hells. Yeah, and the Abyss has, you know, essentially two pages or a page worth of info. And that, you know, I think that's pretty important because Abyss is pretty And important. I believe they changed some of the lords again, right? Uh, today, yeah, I think you're right. Avernus now has a fallen angel as as its lord, Zeriel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, which is like I don't hate, um, but people need to know going into it like the planes change, like the story of D and D has continued to evolve, and how did that happen? We don't know. That story's never been told, <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> but it did. So there you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we still yeah. don't know why Tiamat is trapped on. Trapped in hell, do we? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> after all the tyranny of dragons, after is that actually mentioned in the DMG that she's? Uh, it's now? it's on that uh, yeah page sixty four where they talk about the nine layers of the hell. They talk about Vernus with uh, Zariel, the new the uh, new yeah. lord yeah. there, and there's a little section about how Tiamat, yeah. Queen um, Tiamat, the queen of evil dragons, was prisoner in this mm-hmm. lair, ruling mm-hmm. our domain by confident. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. By yeah. Asmodeus, in accordance with some ancient contract. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it happened because that's actually you know the, it's, uh, not to not to all of a sudden turn this into a game, but that contract may have a vital component to the whole tyranny of dragons campaign. Right? Could've, what could've, is that contract? Could have, but what it is, didn't. <laughs> well, it might. Well, you the, know, your the, game. Maybe you just missed her by the book. I miss her. I can't. <laughs> think of anything outside no, of but, I'm, but, if, but if it but for those of us who have an imagination <laughs> we can certainly see how you could take that contract and have some kind of weird connection between Severin Asmodeus and Tiamat sure 
and why what Severin is doing is actually the main issue with uh, freeing Tiamat. Wouldn't that have been interesting if it was but, written in the story? That is interesting, and I'm going to do it. Well, and you should, and I, and I encourage DMs I to do that kind of stuff. I will write an article on Sly Flourish just for you. Thank you. Oh. And I can print it out, and I can stick it, glue it into my book, right. and then, then, it'll, your be, book. then <laughs> it'll be all better. Right. I, uh, I don't know about you guys, but there's also some real-world information in here. Jeff, I don't know if this is a history teacher made you cringe, but I love it. Um, you know, on page 18 and 19, they have all those descriptions of the various forms of government. Um, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And it just really gets your mind going. Like, again, it gets the in imagination kind of flowing and all that kind of stuff about like, oh, yeah, this is how feudalism actually works. And, uh, you know, this is uh, plutocracy and that sort of thing. Um, and it was nice to see all of those sort of spread out for you in one place so that when you sit down to make a world, if you're starting small or if you're starting big, you can look at all your options and say, ah, okay, here's where I can do, rather than going to Wikipedia and looking up forms of Well, and that's part of the whole world building thing that I thought was really cool, right? Is that, you know, they walk you through the steps and then they give you, like, you're going to build a kingdom. Okay, here's the government. Here's the things you need for a kingdom. Here's the different types of government it can have. Here's a little bit about each one of those. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And there's a random chart too. So I can just like create my world at random and then have to be creative, Mike Shea, uh, you know, <laughs> and figure out what, how that world works now, you know? I, I think there's some really cool things to that i'm kind of i kind of want to just create a world from scratch using nothing but the the random tables and the stuff that they have here so what's what i particularly like is the idea that they have a random chart for forms of government and that somebody had to sit down and figure out that like feudalism has a much greater chance of of occurring than oh, kleptocracy sure. <laughs> right there's a one percent chance of a kleptocracy well, and you that know. and that's just the the <laughs> but an eight percent chance. That's of that, that's them figuring out what the what the world of D and D looks like, right? That's the default. I know. World of I just love yeah. that somebody had to sit there with the spreadsheet and figure that out. <laughs> it feels like a very James Whitey sort of things, but I don't know if he was still working <laughs> on it then. You know, he was, he was I, one of the authors. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I really wanted to uh, run a a completely random campaign from one to twenty when I was reading this book. I was yeah. like, let me just use the tables for everything from and the, see what kind of story from comes the up. from the NPCs to the to the campaign worlds to the to the dungeon itself. Right? You can randomly there's table tables and tables to randomly roll up a dungeon and. Yeah. And villain, villains too. Their schemes, mm-hmm. their methods. I love that one of their methods could be threats or harassment. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have to say something though, and this is this is. I'm I'm sure we could get into this a lot about like what what is in here that we think doesn't need to be in here and should have been for that thing that I love, mm-hmm. right? Which I'm sure is a common argument among all you know everybody that's opened the DMG. But there is an entire page, all of page ninety five is villain's methods, yes. right? Just everything from stalking to torture by acid, right, are, are the yeah. villain's methods. And, you know and, what? I, and, need? I need a freaking random monster table. I don't need a villainous method table. And, and you oh. know, and that some of that kind of stuff is... what's in the swamp. Some of that kind of stuff is tricky, too, because, like, that's a great source of inspiration, but it's also limiting. Like, there are an infinite number of methods that a villain could employ... And there's no way this table can be comprehensive. Well, when are yeah. you ever going to roll on this? When you're completely randomly generating your entire adventure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that they give um, options. I think part of it is that sometimes uh, DMs get too stuck in doing the same old yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. villain options. So, like, the fact that there's torture with thumbscrews on the same page as uh, seduction Right. As how they're doing. I'm they're, rolling on this table right now. <laughs> lying in perjury. Yeah. yeah. Illusions. It's true. Maybe wizards could uh, look at it and get something other than cultists for villains uh, yes. for all of their pre published adventures. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. For the next, for the next three years. <laughs> cultists uh, of Baal, cultists of the dragon, <laughs> elemental cultists. Well, and well, Mike, big into the into the gods and the realms these days, you know, it's, it's kind of a thing. <laughs> Mike, I'm glad you brought it up actually, because I, for like Tracy was saying, for inspiration purposes, for for not getting stuck, I kind of like that table. The thing I don't like, mm-hmm. and I know I Here talked to you guys about this before, <laughs> is the currency section. 
that spans a whole, <laughs> more than a whole page, starting on page 19, and lists the different kinds of coins, paragraph after paragraph, of the different coins that are manufactured in different city-states of the Forgotten Re Like, you need so, one so of those examples. Yeah. and you So here's get. what's great, though, right? And this is why I think, so I, I bet you that the end conclusion is, you know, the DMG is probably pretty good. Because I use that in my game. <laughs> right i i'm never going to use the villainous motivation i just rolled by the way and i got uh execution by burning at the stake is the method my villain uses um but when every, every I time the, every time your villain does that <laughs> apparently right that's my point like you know anyway um but <laughs> the coins so one thing we had is that the cult of the dragon is grabbing up coins from a whole bunch of cities around greenest a whole bunch of rich towns that don't have really good defenses right and i needed to make it clear to the to the players that when they grabbed up one of the hordes and opened it up that it was gold from all over the realms and i actually handpicked a bunch of these different things and said like you find the falcons and you find the golden ones from here and you find this from there and they're like well you know and they're rolling history checks to figure out where they're from and they're like wow this gold's from everywhere this isn't just greenest gold so it's actually a clue for them to figure out how big the motivation of the cult of the dragon was and, and now can i can and i, I use can i point out that that is a really good reason that something like that should exist in a campaign guide, <laughs> which yep. this is not. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's. Uh, I feel like I'm echoing that too for for Sam Dylan. Not that I want to speak. For yeah, him, you're probably right because why it is a there's like a heavy heavy focus on the Forgotten Realms money, mm -hmm. right? And and most of the book isn't actually like some of the campaign yeah. stuff. They they pull examples from the realms. But a lot of the book isn't very realms yeah. focused. And the factions, there's a heavy, heavy faction base for the realms. Yeah, well, except that they only, like, they pull heavily from this specific tyranny of dragons factions. Like, that's a pretty limited scope, too. But those same factions are going to be the ones for the elemental ones. So those, well, because, I, think, I think we're stuck with those factions forever. Because that's their organized play system. But that's yeah. not, like, there's way more groups than that in the realms. Nope, and it's just you, those five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope, the mask's gone. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, good. We've we've solved that. <laughs> <laughs> but I I do think if that's like if we've come down to we are critiquing a single page in an over three hundred page book, this is a pretty great book. Oh, you, you, know? you want me to critique something else? Here you go. Oh, I, have, <laughs> I have a list. I, I have two more things on my list actually. Uh, uh, artifacts. Uh, I love the storiness of artifacts. Uh, I I'm not. Like, the random component of artifacts, I think, are kind of okay. But the specific random things on the artifacts, I, I thought were kind of meh. Like, some of them are clearly better or worse than others. Um, and and some of them are completely um, changed the power level of the artifact. They're not just, like, quirky little things the artifacts can do. Uh, I'm just curious what people thought about the random element to artifacts. That now artifacts have these powers plus a couple yeah, of detriments and a couple like of things. How often are you ever going to see one of these artifacts in play? Can't they just pick the items? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so actually, you, you hit on a, a kind of a, you know, one of the things that is sort of a systemic, I, you know, I'm, I'm hard to, it's hard to get too dramatic and say a systemic problem. But there's something that I've noticed coming up more and more in, in play for me, which is that the limited... There's, there's, you know, it's D and D is much more limited in the amount, or fifth edition is more limited in the amount of magic items you're typically supposed to give out. Mm -hmm. It's like basically four over the entire career of a character, and yet the book is fifty percent or like thirty percent magic items, and you know, I could go my entire life and never hand all these things out. Sure, but you know, and then you look at artifacts and you're like, how many of those? One per group per year? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, they're yeah. going to be pretty rare. And I sort of feel like even the artifact designs themselves were like the powers and stuff for a lot of them were kind of mediocre and that they were leaning heavily on this randomness thing to make them more interesting. And and a lot of the random things I don't feel like make them particularly more interesting. Well, and, yeah. and you're right. You're not going to see them that often. Do they really need to be so much different every time you pick, pick up you know, the sort of Kaz? Well, right. you're only going to ever pick up the sort of Kaz once, hopefully. Right, right. And probably, if you... only, yeah, a player is probably only ever going to have one of those in one of their characters' possession once in their life. Mm -hmm. Like they're not going to be like, "Oh yeah, I get the you know hammer thunderbolts again," or whatever. <laughs> or the book of vile um, darkness, or yeah. So what? So what? But the other part, and I think I think that the book is kind of doing this by design. I go back to like the villainous motivation and some of the other charts. Uh, the the random government type, right? They're not like. 
if they have the opportunity to make something a random chart, they went ahead and did it, which yeah. doesn't mean you have to use it that way. <laughs> so, like, if yeah. you're designing the, an artifact, you could just pick the powers you think are cool as a DM and the right amount of index card. I and could. Not, and never roll. But I'd rather have them just custom make it uh, powers that make sense for that artifact. I, yeah, I suppose. You know? So I think the number of times that that's going to be a problem for me is pretty small. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that's true, uh, which is kind of the point, too, right? Yeah. I'll tell you, so, so an, a different element where they use random stuff for magic items that I think is fantastic is the random properties of typical magic items, Yeah, uh, which I use all the time, and it makes them, you know, like we've generated entire stories based on the random nature of those roles. Um, yeah, where's the page number here? Uh, 240... Um, so I think it's 242 to 243... You know, who created it, uh, detail of history, minor property, and quirk. It's mm-hmm. definitely not 242 and 243. I'm sorry, 142. And <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I, I happened to be on that page, actually, ironically, when you said that. And I'm like, that's about exploration not, and using yeah, a map. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. So if you look at 142 and 143, they have like, you know, 1 to 20 charts for four different properties. And it's like every plus one short sword, you mm-hmm. can roll this. And the fact that it was made, that's a fiendish you know, a fiendish sword that was once wielded by a hero uh, that is harmonious and painful, you know, that's interesting, right? Yeah. And you can start to build a little story in your head about what that's like. And, and that's that's quirky. I'm, I'm cool with little quirky yeah. things that make yeah. things unique. And you know what I just noticed because you made me look up a page? <laughs> uh, the page corners, they're color-coded. Yes. So yep. you can find a, the section you're looking for, like, by thumbing through, to, and, you know, really quickly. Yep, yep. 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 I don't think I noticed that before. Monster Manual is a little bit like that too. I don't know if it's color coding, but it's good. It's tricky with the Monster Manual because yeah. they're not. There's not really a Monster Manual section, you know. <laughs> it doesn't have sections. It's just alphabetized. Can I complain about my my number one biggest complaint? Okay. Oh. Um, and it's. I don't think it's a surprise to anybody. But where are my random monster charts? Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> I think you've right. already mentioned that complaint. I, I did mention it. Okay. But it, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to bring they... more attention to the fact that it drives me crazy that they don't have that. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I vaguely recall them saying that they didn't have it in the Monster Manual because they were going to have something like that. They were going to. They said they're going to put out a PDF with them. But mm-hmm. when I when I go through the book and I see the kind of stuff that they have in here, mm-hmm. oh, this you know, is like, this, those are charts I regularly use. Yeah, this and, is where they have the the monsters by by location and by challenge yeah, rating and, and that kind can, of stuff. Then. You yeah. can kind of get away with it, right? Like I could kind of do it, and they have a section. I'm trying to remember. Hang on, I wrote the page number down. Yeah, yeah, they teach you how to do it. Well, and if you look at the the one that they made, though, one of the things they do is you roll like a D12 and a D8. Mm-hmm. So that means the odds are weird, right? Well, right. for me to sit down and, again, to figure out, like, you know, what the odds are going to be of rolling stuff in the middle vice rolling stuff on the ends with like a D12 and a D8, you know, it makes my head hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, that's not easy for me. Like, what I want them to do is I want them to do a bunch of those. Right. Right. Like that, you know, if we're paying 50 bucks for a book or whatever it is, was it 50, 60? Mm-hmm. How much mm-hmm. is this thing? 50 bucks. Yeah. So, full, full disclosure, I got a review copy. So. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got full, full disclosure, I did not. Yeah. Me neither. Um, <laughs> I did. So I, I bought mine at FLGS for full price. I just so, want Wizards to know I can be bought, though. Yes. So. I would be happy to receive <laughs> Next time you're doing sixth edition, please feel free to send me. Um, so the. Uh, uh, and I totally forgot what I was talking about. Random charts. Oh, well, so what I want when I pay 50 bucks is I want you to do the heavy lifting. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? I want my job to be as easy as possible. And I want my $50 to go towards things that make me make my game easier to run. And random monster charts make it easy to run. Teaching, I know how to do a random monster chart. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not hard if you're doing a 1 to 20 chart. It gets really hard if you're doing a 1d12 plus 1d8. Mm-hmm. And if that's really the, a good kind of chart where you're saying, like, look, the odds of running around in an undead swamp, uh, you're much more likely to hit zombies than you are to hit a lich, you know, okay, but why don't you do that for me? And it, I don't know. Why be complicated? Why not just make it a, a percentile thing and then you can very easily gauge how common things are? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and, and even then, like, I've done a lot of 1 to 100 charts and, mm-hmm. and tweaking the math is not easy. Like, trying to figure out, okay, well, if I'm, if I'm adding 15% for this one, then I've got to, you know, subtract 8%. Oh, but now that one's too small compared to this one over here. So I got to go back and tweak all the numbers again. It actually feels a lot like encounter building, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> it's a constant process of 
going over your whole thing. And then you end up with, ah, I'll just do 5% for all of them. Hey, look, right. I made a 1 to 20 chart. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, so, know, like, you, know, you know my solution. I don't do random encounters. Well, <laughs> I know, but I actually, the, and the funny thing is fifth edition for me is much more. Oh, so uh, easy to do. Them. Yeah, it's much more open to running random encounters because mm-hmm. encounters can be so quick mm-hmm. that, you know, to have people run around in a swamp. And again, like many times I've had it where I've run a random encounter. And the random encounter turned into the story. You know where they could have put all those charts? The DMG? Appendix C. <laughs> Is that the dungeon? That's the, the random maps. Oh, I with, love with, that. No! <laughs> oh, I can't. No. I, I you am, know why? I am never going to look at that appendix you ever. Suck. You need to look at the map on page 312. And you need to look <laughs> at that map really hard. That's the best map ever. Do you know Why? It's a pop quiz. I, I know <laughs> why, but you told James me. James knows why. Yeah. I designed that map. You designed that map, yeah. <laughs> That's the map to Vault of the Dracolich. Right. I and I sat one. down with a whiteboard and and scratched out the worst version of that you have ever seen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mike Shelley turned it into a good map. <laughs> so this is the one piece that I have in this book. This is my thing. So no, you can't have it, Jeff Brown. <laughs> That's yeah. the most important section of the book. But please take the coinage section and make some <laughs> random monster tables. Yeah. And they have, I think, I'm sorry, go ahead, Tracy. I was just going to point out, you can finish your thought because I was going to point out some stuff I like. Oh, so I, I think like they have the monster lists on page 302 to 305 and it's by environment. And mm-hmm. I can pretty much build random encounter charts from that. Although a random encounter chart that starts with rats and ends with ancient black dragon. Is is probably not the best. Is appropriate for the story because they're in that environment. <laughs> I guess, but that you know, that's where I would want to use my percentile dice, right, and have it like yeah, like roll a double zero, one percent chance of dragon, and and yeah, much and like higher chance 40% of percent chance of rats. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it depends on the level. I don't, I don't want to waste my time throwing <laughs> a bunch of tenth level guys. Well, and, rats. and I think that's actually that's probably what they were thinking is that you know there isn't really a good random chart. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I mean, because w- what level is it? But like, I just I remember so I have the DMG one sitting next to the DMG four, the fifth DMG, and I really love like those monster, the dungeon, you know, the random dungeon monster tables. What were they mm-hmm. called? You know, and they had like level one to level ten, and and it, it they, those are the monsters that would be in the lowest levels of a deadly dungeon, mm-hmm. and. You know, I, they don't make any ecological sense at all, and I don't care. Like, I, I just like them, you know, and I miss that they're not here. And I use them a lot. I used, I used the Pathfinder once when I played Pathfinder. And, you know, it was great. Anyway, I think I'm done ranting. Well, talking about things that people love, I think Jared's going to love the alien technology section. Mm. And then also the fact that, like, I think it's interesting that there are firearms in here. Because mm-hmm. I know that's often a flashpoint among some D and D fans, and then if you look into the plot point section, which is actually right near the alien technology and the guns, um, there's uh, plot points are a way of uh, players being able to have control over the story, mm-hmm. and they give three options. Uh, and the third option is the gods must be crazy, in which there's no permanent DM, and you spend your plot points to take over control of the story and become <laughs> the DM for a little while until somebody else buys it. Yes. That sounds like it would be super fun if I had a group where anybody else was ever willing yeah, to be DM. Right. <laughs> it's like, great, you've got the ability to take over as DM, but nobody ever will, yeah. so I might as well just you plan on doing it. You can figure out how to make a balanced encounter now. Yeah. I mean, Team team Odiog could definitely play that way. Yeah. It'd be sure. a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I would love to see it, and I like that they have it in here. I think, are, I think we just came up with the Gen Con session. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And there is some nice artwork on page 33 that is for people who like guys. <laughs> Speaking of artwork. Yes. The last thing on my list. The cover is lovely. It is not, however, a Sararak. I think they said it was. Yeah, no, it says it I is. No, but a Sararak is a Demi-Lich. And that guy's clearly not a demi That is not a demi He does not have gems for teeth or eyes. Maybe that's them. young, that Sararak. Yeah. Listen, it's but a Sararak yeah. the teenage years. Yeah, because you have to be a lich before you can become right. a demi-lich. 
Okay, but a Sarak, if we're talking about the, the evolution of the story of D&D, <laughs> a Sarak is already a Demi-Lich. Tyler, yeah, on the cover, Tyler Jacobson illustrates the Arch-Lich, a Sarak, yeah, as no. he raises an undead army and prepares to unleash it on an unsuspecting world. Yeah. That was one of his early days. Yeah. 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 It's a, right? it's a yearbook. Or, right. It's a right. yearbook. <laughs> It was when he was in prep school. I just feel like you could have oh, called it cool. almost – call it Zaztam or something. It, it, what's Zaztam. the hell of a difference does it make? <laughs> but, couldn't, I mean, couldn't you just say that, like, King Snur is dead on the player's handbook because that adventure is old <laughs> and he should have been killed? Like, they're, they're all kind of moments in D&D history. Okay, sure. But at least King Snur is most recognized as that sort of character. Aserak is most recognized – as a floating skull with gems from teeth and eyes. would it be if the cover was this like tiny little room with a dusty skull sitting? <laughs> that would be right? kind of You're awesome. Like, this game sucks. I could get behind that. <laughs> skull sitting on the floor. It's just a dusty, du- a, dusty a, a really skull. dark, dusty dungeon room with one little altar in the middle, and then and then a skull with you know a light on it. That could be ominous and super awesome. Not, <laughs> or, you know, pick something else for your DMG. Just if you're going to go with iconic stuff, then make it the icon that people recognize. This is not the Aserac icon that people recognize. Uh, can I give uh, my biggest gripe? Um, Absolutely. Which is, it, is, is it index indices? No. Oh, okay. No. It's actually, <laughs> nice way to slide yours in. <laughs> is it? Is it the flanking rules? Yeah. <laughs> uh, mine is actually that the magic items are in alphabetical order, um, and I wish that they were divided up by item category. Uh, or, in fact, that's what I wish. Item category. I don't yeah. have any other option. Um, because it is a pain in the butt if you're looking for a magic sword because they're not all under sword of something. They're, you know, there's frost brands and flame tongues and yeah. they're all over the place. And is there a list of the items? Uh, the, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, like on one hand, I feel like they're trying to make a point. Like in previous editions, it was you, it was necessary to categorize them because you needed different items for different slots, uh, you know, whatever, right. in order to be of appropriate level. And so I feel like they were maybe trying to make a point that, you mm-hmm. know, no, they're just all magic items. You can have yeah. whatever. And and that's – I get that. Um, but on the other hand, you're right. Like if I want to make an NPC with a magic sword for the PCs to fight and then take the sword, now I got to sit there and search through a, a dozen places. And, read, and maybe it's there. Maybe it's not. Maybe I missed the perfect one because I didn't look yeah. – I didn't remember that, that – uh, you know, uh, life stealer was the name of a sword or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And there's yeah. not even a list of swords, right? Like, if you look at the mat, I mean, I love the random magic tables, by the way, or the random, you know, random treasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fantastic. I use it all the time, and it makes my life much easier. But there isn't like a sword table. It's like the swords are kind of mixed in with everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you're just not even a good place to say, "Can I just get a list of what all the swords are?" And then I'll read the name I like, and then I'll go look it up because it's alphabetical. I'm sure somebody's made that out there somewhere. Well, that's the thing. Like all of these are, you know, solved I mean, problem solvable with a good JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did Can I talk read? about flanking? Okay. Tell me about flanking. Sorry, Tracy. Go ahead. I was just gonna. I was just wondering if you guys read the disclaimer for the DMG. Yeah. <laughs> the disclaimers have been good. I like that they've not taken themselves so seriously that they're having yeah, a little fun. Yeah, it's that the tasty, tasty uh, smart brains. <laughs> uh, it's the tactics um, for how to, oh, run, yeah. how to be a DM. It's the tasty brains, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Roll a bunch of dice behind your screen, study them for a moment, and then with a look of deep concern mixed with regret, and then uh, announce that Tiamat swoops from the sky and attacks. I've done that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I've, done it, I've done it more than once. Um, flanking so flanking is an optional rule that gives you advantage on your attacks Mm -hmm. super powerful yeah right and and it's so much more powerful because it's so easy to get into a flank yeah yeah because (laughs) you you don't take any attack of opportunity running around somebody Mm -hmm. the only thing that limits it is that there's it's almost impossible not to get advantage some other way too Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lot of options for advantage, but it seems like flanking. I don't know why they didn't just go with the the plus two, because that's not the mechanic of. of but they of they use the minus two for cover. Like they they yeah, are you know, true. They yeah. already they already gave that up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that that whole idea of like, hey, we can use advantage for everything. Yeah, I saw some other places where there are plus twos and stuff. Yeah, so there's no reason not to. But uh, you know, what uh, I recommend Mike not using it. 
How about you just give people a plus two for flanking? How about I just not give them flanking bonus and not worry about it? Um, yeah, that works too. You know what's funny? I I, I've run it with many groups and nobody's ever said, oh, I really miss flanking. And well, one of the reasons is I've run a lot of theater of the mind and it's just nice not to have yeah. to worry about it. Yeah, Andy, um, who you know from behind the DM screen, and I'm sure our listeners do as well, because he's taken over from me for for a while. Yeah, um, he's done, and I don't know if you guys have talked about this at all, but he hasn't mapped out anything. I don't think we've had a single map, really? mapped encounter, and we're no. three, four chapters into to Tyranny of Dragons. How are the grappling rules? I don't remember. Is it just like a post strength checks? Because there's the part where like you can climb onto a monster and they suggest using the grappling rules unless yeah. it's so big and then you can uh, do terrain rules instead, like treat it like a terrain. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that that seems like one of those times where like I don't know, roll a twenty, right? Like, yeah. Roll a twenty if it's high, sure. <laughs> uh, one thing that I actually really like, and I I don't think you know, my I I like that they have it here. I just wish they would spend more time on this because I think it's a, actually a really hard thing to figure out with fifth edition and probably I would I would guess hard for players hard for newer DMs um, is if you're running theater of the mind how do you adjudicate stuff that's clearly based by feet um, you know and the big ones are area effects right. uh, but there's lots of other times where you're like well if I can move 25 feet instead of 30 how does that come out in a narrative combat session right um, but what, on page 249 they have this tiny little bit that gives it a chart about how to adjudicate number of targets based on the size of a of a blast radius hmm. and it's you know it's so easy to miss but i've been using this all the time and you know it's pro- it's one of the most valuable things in this book outside of magic items because now when somebody casts a cone in narrative i can say oh yeah how big okay. is your cone 30 foot cone yeah that's three targets Right, and then and I'll just say like, which three do you want to hit? <laughs> right? Like, I really don't care if they're not the three that are all lined up. Um, yeah, I, I wish they would. You know, I could use a couple pages about how to run narrative mm-hmm. combat. Well, and also mm-hmm. talking. So it sounds like you've got a great idea for a future Tome Show advice episode, or a Sly Flourish article. Yeah. Maybe even, maybe even an ebook, or maybe maybe but, a Sly Flourish article that we can pimp on a on a Tome sure. Show. Sure, now, now we're talking. <laughs> but uh, along the lines with the like near a DM thing. Uh, reading it and thinking about my own experience so far, I, I feel like I can run it because I've played for long enough. But I, I would think I would have felt lost when I uh, first started DMing, trying to understand how to take this book and actually run a game. Right. Yeah. So that that's, I, I agree. The, the the weird thing about this book, there's a bunch of weird things. Like you know, my first thought is, hey, we have a DMG and it's a fifth edition DMG. And my experience with fifth so far has been, you know, I I love this game system. And I've run a ton of games in it now, and it's held up. And I don't think it's going to fall apart at high levels. I think it'll be, you know, my, my guess is, and you can, you can quote me on this, and then we'll talk in a year and see how it went, that it's not going to fall apart at high levels nearly as badly as the other systems have. Mm-hmm. Um, but the weird thing about it is, like, when we're talking about all of the detail that it's got in, in story design and, or, or in world building and all of the detail, I don't know exactly who they're writing it for. Because... Mm-hmm. Like Jeff said, we're all pretty experienced DMs and we were all pretty used to building our worlds and we're probably going to go build them ourselves already. And then new players, like, what the hell am I supposed to do when they sit down at the table? You know, like, I don't know what they say initiative. I don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And And on the other hand, though, a a new group, a new brand new DM hopefully starts with the starter set. Which gives them enough background that, th- and they run through that, and then maybe they're ready for the DMG. Except that the starter set, I I didn't feel that it gave enough. Yeah. To enough. for a new DM, like it it helped a little bit with new players, but I don't think it did enough for the DM. Like it, it throws you in. There's no. Sometimes there's no real, I don't know. Yeah. No real I, explanation how to actually start that very first encounter where it's like, well, you come up upon a horse, right. but you're supposed to already know that you're supposed to ask the players how close they are, mm-hmm. and then that like it just it doesn't actually help uh, translate right. from the description of the encounter to how you actually run it at a table. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I, the, the starter set was probably more geared toward uh, p- converting people than it was teaching yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've specifically tried to avoid reviewing any of the products based on like how a new DM would take it because I'm so far from a new DM. I don't yeah. think there's anything I could do to, 
to know what it's like. But I've gotten, you know, and all I have is anecdotal evidence, but I've gotten emails from people recently, which I'm very happy about because there's a, you know, if my anecdotal evidence is any actual indicator, there's a lot of new people that are starting to play D&D. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's great. And, and they are saying things like, I, I, you know, they don't understand how perception works. They're like, it says, and they, they were specifically talking about like the goblin, in, uh, the goblin caves in Fandelver. And they're saying like, it says that if the goblin detects the players, it's going to unleash the flood. Do I just figure that out on my own? Or is there something that lets me do that? Or, you know, I guess I just decide if that happens. And I said, well, you know, there's perception. And if you look on the goblin stat block, it says perception of nine. That means that if the players all roll stealth checks and three out of five of them roll above it, then, you know, because I'm thinking like, is the group stealth check even a thing in fifth? I think it is. <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, I hope. Well, you know, I'm telling him it is. Um, you know, and it's like, God, you know, how would he ever know that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, how, you know but, but his first reaction was, I guess I'll just guess. And I said, well, that's probably just fine. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And I know. feel like, um, like cause a lot of people learn when they were kids. And I feel like when you're a kid, you're sometimes more willing to just yeah. Do whatever. Make yeah. Yeah. Make it up. Where when you get to be in a, a more of an adult, and it's like this is precious time that we're spending together because we have all right. this other stuff right. going on. Just, you yeah. want to do it right. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's the other thing is is when I look at how thick this book is and how much stuff it's got. And the I you know we were talking about magic items before, and I think about how, you know, how little we're actually going to be able to use all of this stuff. Because getting everybody together to sit down and play a game is so hard to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think they said, like, well, we also want to write these books so they're just plain fun to read. And I think that that's probably one good way to review it is, is it a fun book to read? And I, I certainly think it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think I started off more excited about it. And then as I ran into those little things where it's like, oh, I kind of wish they'd have done something more interesting here or there, right? Um, I think my interest waned as I read. Um, because I, I think I ran into more and more of those. Like towards the end of the book, there's a lot more of those little modules where it's like, oh, that's a cool idea. I wish they'd have done something more interesting with it, you know? Um, but otherwise, yeah, I think uh, especially starting off, uh, I was really enjoying reading most of this book. Mm. Yeah, I really liked it. And I did think that, that the end kit bashing session, um, as cool as it was, I, I definitely wanted to see more of that. But I think that's also because... You know, like you said, Mike, I'm so far from being a not experienced DM. Right. Um, and I think like a lot of that beginning stuff is probably pretty helpful to new DMs. And a lot of it is about, I mean, a lot of DM is making stuff up, you know. Um, even if you used random tables to generate a whole thing, you're still going to have to make up 75% of what you're doing. Uh, All so. right. So, so Watsy, we're going to solve this problem for you. Every DM within the sound of my voice, it is your job to teach new people how to DM this year. In the next 12 months, I want you to teach one more person how to DM. It's my job, man. I'm not giving my there. job to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> find a, find a mentor. Me. Find a mentor. Yeah. It's like pay it forward, but with D&D. Yeah. Right. I'm really bad at that. <laughs> I really am. I don't want to ever give up my table. Wait, how many starter <laughs> sets did you buy, Mike? Oh, 12 yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> maybe yeah. you're not so bad if that counts if that counts that's one thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i'm not giving my table up <laughs> i love running dnd &D. i don't like playing it nearly as much yeah. i think i think if i'm like you know if i look at the overall book though i think like the only thing to me that really irks me that it doesn't have is the the random monster tables and even that i can live without um as the kind of fifth book or certainly the third of the three big books yeah. Uh, I just love this version of D and D. Like I'm, 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 I look at the three books sitting on the shelf, and I'm happy to have all three. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's a great book. Yeah, it's a it's a great system of D and D. I think that's a good and way. It's to, a great system of D and D. A yeah. good way to to finish off uh, our our examination, right? I think, uh, you know, now that it's done, we've gone through all the first five books, the two adventures, the three main big books. Uh, how's fifth edition looking? I think it looks great. I think it's my favorite version of D and D ever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So Tracy, you started with fourth. Yes. Um, how do you do you feel how do you how do you compare the two? Um I don't know, because I always I, I according to some people I did fourth wrong because I cared about the story even. Yes. What are you doing? <laughs> so it's all about uh, battles. <laughs> uh 
So, I mean, I, I, I think overall I, I like Fifth a lot because it gives some of that story elements. But the thing I like about it um, is – some people might hate me for this. I felt like – because I've played some, like, 3.5 since then. And I felt sometimes, like, 3.5 tried to make too many rules up or, like, tried to have so many different modifiers and stats that – it oh, yeah. it felt like I couldn't do the story as much. Now, and I know there are people who who uh, do it just fine, and um, I'm very happy for them, and I'm glad that they found what they like. But it was uh, more difficult for me, so I'm glad that it 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 went more with the way I was playing. In some ways, it went more with the way I was playing D and D, which was very story based and very loose, and a lot of like um, we'll make up a rule at the table and just remember what's good for the goose is good for the gander, which meant I could use it too. Yeah, right. Uh, and so that's why I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, you're not alone. I think in your assessment of kind of three point five and and four and fifth, that you know the the second was kind of loose, but had a, you know kind of a good refinement of what felt like D and D. Third, they threw a whole bunch of rules that kind of affected everybody, and then in fourth, they moved all those rules into the powers that affected each of the individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they left the story part very open because I can even remember when I was uh, doing some freelancing. Um, things that didn't involve combat were pretty much like you can do whatever almost. <laughs> yeah. Although, uh, so one thing that's one one thing that's actually missing, and I'd love your I'd love your take on it, is uh, skill challenges. Oh, right. right. They, they, they had the challenge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like James is like, oh. Um, but it, so, it's interesting because that's something that they kind of put it in fourth, and then I don't really see it in here at all. I still use it because I actually like it, but I never used. Again, I I was very loose with it. It to oh, me yeah. it was it was a way of knowing. Because one of the problems I often have at the table is kind of like in the uh, Penny Arcade and PvP podcast when uh, Gabe starts playing and he's like, "Well, I'm just gonna roll to kill Iron Tooth." Mm-hmm. Sometimes in the game, you have like the players they just want to make one roll, and it'd be like I convince the mayor that I'm right, and rather than having it be a discussion and ongoing back and right. forth thing. Right. And so I felt skill challenges were pretty decent as a, a rough framework for determining when success happened. You know mm-hmm. where skill challenges are? Where the, the, the chase? Cha- the chase mechanic? Yeah, I was yeah. actually just reading the chases while we were talking about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So that's how I always use them. Um, but yeah. yeah. Well, and and ultimately, I feel like good skill challenges, even in fourth, and 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 by good, I mean not the ones designed in official products, but the good ones that people ran. Um, it they were more of a strategy than they were a mechanic. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It, it's a it's a strategy for a DM of how to how to f- put rule frames around. Yeah, they, an they event. It ended up that way, but that wasn't kind of their initial no. design. Right? Yeah. The initial design was this very structured. It almost feels like a combat encounter, only you're talking to people. Yeah, well, it wasn't. And it it never, wasn't. I, it never worked. If yeah. you talk to, to Mike Marles about it um, and, and sort of the history of that, and I did back in the fourth edition, day, early fourth edition days, um, he his original, like, what they put into the rules was very different than what he wanted to, or than the version he, of the rules that he wrote that he wanted to be in there. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, that he wanted it to be much more loose and, and whatever. And then that that's not apparently what they decided to go with. Yeah. Like when I did um, Lost City, we, there's a skill challenge for uh, getting um, a certain thing working again. And uh, some of the stuff I did was that uh, the players would come upon uh, battles like between uh, two different creature types that were living there and whose side they picked if they decided to pick a side would either result in a success or loss in the overall skill challenge, which I thought was pretty cool. Lost City, for those of you uh, playing at home, is an adventure through Kobold Press that uh, Tracy contributed to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, and Mike, what, what version of the game did you start with? Uh, I started with second. Okay, and you sort of gave your assessment of sort of, of sort of how fifth shakes out to you, right? I think so. So, yeah. James, what did you start with? Uh, I started with second, uh, but I was playing with my older brother and his friends, uh, and I was nine, um, and uh, did not really understand the rules <laughs> okay. uh, all that well uh, until later on in life. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I love it, and it's funny to me, uh, a lot of it feels like third. It feels like they took good parts of fourth. It feels like it has the looseness of second. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like whenever I talk to somebody, they're like, oh, it's just like, and they usually 
pick the edition that they started with. Uh, <laughs> they're like, oh, you know, it's not fifth, it's second. They just remade right. first. They just remade third yeah. or whatever. Well, and, it is. and so here, here's my sort of uh, take on the whole thing, comparing it to the previous editions. Uh, I sort of feel like fifth edition um, is designed like third with lessons learned from fourth, and it feels like I'm playing second. Yeah, you know? that's that's a pretty good assessment. Yeah, I feel like it feels more like second than either third or fourth did to me. But but mechanically, it's not like second at all. But it's not like second. It's at more all, like right. like third with fourth built in, and and yeah. obviously there's some new things, right? The flattened math changes a lot of it, and and yeah. um, you know there's other things that change it. So it's it's different. It's unique, but it feels like second to me. Yeah, yeah, like the spell scaling is so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like fifth to me. Yeah, that's probably the best assessment. <laughs> and there you go. I think that's a good place to end our review. Fifth edition of D&D, according to James Intercaso, feels like feels fifth like edition fifth. of D&D. Boom. Professional and, writer over here, guys. And that's the end of the episode. I want to thank our contributors, Mike Shea, James Intercaso, Sam Dillon, even though he's not here, he's been part of the team all along and he's going to edit this episode. So thanks to Sam. Thanks to Noble Knight Games for sponsoring us. Uh, and thanks to you guys out there listening for supporting the show by shopping over on our affiliate links at Amazon and D&D Classics, which you can find linked over at thetomeshow.com. And if you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to thetomeshow at gmail.com or call our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME, 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. Show notes and other great Tome Show shows are at thetomeshow.com. And that is episode 246, where we have finally concluded our fifth edition campaign. And it was glorious. On this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The I'm on the wall.